You know, sometimes when we study a passage of the Bible, there's a lot of explanation required. And sometimes that explanation, whether it's about language or history or the cultural context, it can actually leave you more confused at the end of the study of the passage than at the beginning. Well, I'm happy to say that today is not one of those days because today we have been entrusted with three simple words that we have to stare at today. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, it says this. It says, do not steal. Do not steal. That's it. Simple enough? Close in prayer? Early lunch? (laughs) You know, it's interesting as you look at the scholarly commentaries on this eighth commandment that they actually receive about half of the commentary of the other commandments. It's just such a simple idea to understand. It's one of those that we learn even as little children that to take something that belongs to someone else with out their knowledge or approval is wrong. It's harmful. We shouldn't do it. And so the passage that we're looking at today is fairly straightforward. If there is any complexity, I kind of feel like it's with the overlap of the other commandments. Because by the time you get into the back half of the Ten Commandments, there seems to be some bleed over in the way that they relate to each other. You know, when you think about stealing, defined as taking from someone else what belongs to them without them knowing or their permission, you could say that there's a a, a real connection or correlation between that and the commandment we looked at last week about not committing adultery. And certainly there's a direct relationship to next week's commandment that we're going to look at that says you should not lie. That dishonesty is directly related to stealing. And so, you know, we're going to try to stay in our lane today and focus exclusively on stealing. And as we stare at the direct applications of Exodus chapter 20, which would have applied to two things, they would have applied to property and to people. I think that we can mine out everything that God would have intended to say, not only to Israel back then, but to us today. Because the truth is that all of us have stolen something, haven't we? And I'm not just talking about like parking in front of Tim Hortons and using their Wi-Fi without going in and buying a donut. All of us have stolen things, if we think about it. We've, we've, we've stolen attention from people in conversations. Instead of focusing on them, we've drawn the conversation back to ourselves or our achievements or our kids' accomplishments. Or we've stolen an idea, whether it's a trademarked idea or not. Maybe we've just stolen credit for something that wasn't ours. Or we've stolen the the limelight. Or we've stolen opportunity. Or we've stolen someone's dignity where we've talked about them negatively. Or maybe stolen their reputation when we've gossiped about them. Maybe we've stolen someone's innocence or purity through abuse. Maybe we've stolen someone's time through disregarding an appointment or showing up later. Maybe we've stolen the future and vitality of the next generation by the way that we've treated the environment. The point is, the definition of stealing is quite simple, but the application can get quite broad quite quickly, can't it? And so today, I want to make a second commitment, not just to kind of stay in the lane of stealing only and not drift into the other commandments, but I also want to stay in the lane of economic stealing only. I want to talk about stealing when it comes to specifically money. The reason I do is uh, twofold. First of all, because 
in uh, Exodus chapter 20, 10 commandment times, that's what would have been primarily intended when you think about stealing applied to property or people. You know, in both cases, if you were stealing a goat from someone or you were stealing a slave from someone, the motivation was for economic gain. And then at the same time, I want us to appreciate that stealing at an economic level often has the most debilitating impact on other people. Stealing economically most affects people's capacity to thrive. So that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus on economic stealing. And more importantly, we're going to focus on the vision of Jesus to live in the exact opposite direction of that. Because when we do, we find this wonderful inside out transformative process that Jesus invites you and I and us together into that all starts by staring at an aspect of economic stealing that applies to every single one of us that we may not even be aware of. And that is the economic stealing that we do with God. That might shock you to hear. It certainly shocked the nation of Israel when God spoke this the first time through the prophet Malachi in Malachi chapter three. He said there, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, God, how are we robbing you? God replied, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. Here God accuses his people of faith of stealing economically from him. And that economic stealing came in the form of what he calls tithes and offerings. If you're unfamiliar with the concept, the word tithe means tenth. And it was a commandment that God had given in the Old Testament that Jesus also commended in the New Testament to give back the first portion, the first fruits, the first tenth of what God had entrusted to you back to God for his purposes through your community of faith. And on top of that, he says the absence of giving God your tithes and your offerings, your commitments to the purposes of God over and above your basic tithes, the failure to do that was actually stealing from God. And God wanted his people to stop stealing from him by being faithful to give back that first 10% to their faith community in tithes and then beyond that in offerings. And I want us to appreciate in this shift that God is looking for, this is more than about just getting his money back. This is about a mindset. Because that's what the practice of tithing was originally intended to introduce. It was intended to kind of right-size a mindset of who the owner of things is and who the user or steward of things is in you and me. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because recently uh, I had for the second time a 16-year-old get their full driver's license. And I don't know how many of you have ever had a 16-year-old get their driver's license, but when that happens, you experience a very common phenomenon. It goes something like this. You start asking to borrow your own car. You know, that 16-year-old, they get their driver's license, they have all this freedom. 
And they start treating this car like their own. And all of a sudden, after a few days, you have to sort of ask them, hey, can I borrow the car? I, I need it at four o'clock tomorrow. I've got a meeting. And they kind of give you the, the hairy eyeball and wonder what, you know, what, what your problem is. And all of a sudden, you have to have this right-sizing conversation when you remind your child that even though they're your beloved child, you're the parent and you're the owner of the car. They're just the user of the car. That's what tithing is intended to do. It's intended to right-size our mentality as the user, not the owner. And I say that because when the Ten Commandments were given, they were given in the context of the idea of, it says in the book of Exodus, to remember that you were slaves. And that context, that reminder, was meant to right-size their mentality as well, to remember that it was God who rescued them, God who delivered them, God who'd redeemed them, God who'd freed them, God who was providing for them, God who was taking care of them, and they were just the users of what God had entrusted to them. And so the first step in living in the very opposite direction of stealing is actually to stop stealing from God by right-sizing our mentality and experiencing that mental recalibration that practices like tithing provide. Through that mental recalibration, we can first things first establish our relationship with God, with him as the owner of everything, and us as the users or stewards of what he owns and has entrusted to us. When that happens, something significant spiritually starts to stimulate. And Jesus described this in his most famous sermon in Matthew chapter 6. He said there, where your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And by heart, he's referring to our passion and our devotion, our engagement and our commitment. And he notices that those kinds of things follow our financial investments, not the other way around. Sometimes we might assume that our finances flow out of our passion. But in reality, if you think about it, our passion grows according to the investment of our finances. If you all of a sudden start investing in the stock market, suddenly you start caring about and following the stock market more closely. If you invest more disproportionately in your kids' activities, you become a more engaged parent in them. If all of a sudden you invest a whole whack of money in a big event or in a, in a wedding celebration, well, all of a sudden everything's got to be just right because you're now emotionally invested following those financial investments. And why that's relevant today is because when we stop robbing God and are faithful to engage in the practice of tithing and giving offerings to the purposes of God, you know what happens? we actually become more engaged and invested in them. We start to care about the purposes of God more. We start to become more emotionally attached, more passionate, more committed, more devoted. Because out of that mental recalibration comes a financial reprioritization. We start to value different things and get more emotionally invested in the purposes of God. Saw this a couple weeks ago when we approved our operating budget uh, just after our annual general meeting. Uh, a whole bunch of people sent me some emails of questions or clarifications or, you know, they wanted to make comments or provide input. You got to know that those emails don't come from just stray cat attenders or visitors to Southridge. 
They come from invested stakeholders who care about the future of our church because they are financially invested in it. That's what happens after that mindset shift. You have a passion shift because flowing out of that mental recalibration is a financial reprioritization. When that happens, things really start rolling and we can really start engaging in the opposite of stealing together, especially as a church family, because we're less focused at that point on taking from others what belongs to them and becoming increasingly focused on sharing with others what belongs to God. This is what happens as that groundswell of transformation begins to stir in our hearts personally and together as a church family. We begin to share with our community and as a community with others. You see this in the first century church in Acts chapter 4 where it says there, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. What a mindset shift says, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Here, the first century community of followers of Jesus was living with what's called an abundance mentality. An abundance mentality contrasted to a scarcity mentality. A scarcity mentality lives in anxiousness and stress, believing that there's never enough to go around. But an abundance mentality flows out of a relationship with God that appreciates God is the owner of everything. And as a provider, God makes an abundance available. So there's always more than enough to go around. And because of that, can seek to live a life desiring to downgrade your quality of life closer to enough in order to upgrade the standard of living around you so that others can grow closer to their experience of enough. That's ultimately the posture that God's people can live in the abundance of his provision that moves them in the direct opposite direction of that of a way of life of stealing. We see this in the times of the Ten Commandments as well, where God imposed what's called gleaning laws, where if you owned a farm, you were only instructed to go through the harvest process once. You went through one time in your harvest and you left all the leftovers for the poor and the vulnerable to come by and to take for themselves. Because out of that abundance, you could share with those around you. That's the journey that God invites people of faith in personally and together that flows out of that mindset shift and then that reprioritization, valuing his purposes more. Out of that comes a contentment and a generosity where through mental recalibration and financial reprioritization, comes a lifestyle of redistribution, working towards enough so that other people can experience enough. That's the way of life of Jesus that he invites us into. That's what it means to live out Jesus' generous love, a mindset shift that 
creates a value shift that results in a lifestyle shift through a mental recalibration that leads to a financial reprioritization that ultimately drives a lifestyle of redistribution. That's what Jesus invites you and me and us into together today. But you gotta know that it doesn't just stop there. And as we wrap up as kind of a bonus, or maybe more accurately, as the finish line, I wanna make a, a real specific note about the context of Exodus chapter 20. Because in Exodus chapter 20, in this eighth commandment, the one interesting thing that the commentators did provide is that this eighth commandment was the only commandment that didn't come with the death penalty as the consequence of not following it. Remember last fall, we joked about how even Sabbath keeping, even the commandment to take a day off, came with the Old Testament death penalty consequence if you didn't observe it. Well, instead of the eye for eye, tooth for tooth kind of retribution, in this eighth commandment, there was a unique expectation. It was the expectation of restitution. That as a result of living with contentment and generosity, people were expected to make restitution with people that they had stolen from. In fact, that restitution applied not only to active stealing, but to passive stealing as well. There was what was called the straying ox rule that said if an ox or an animal from another you know, neighboring farm wandered from its pen and ended up as part of your animals, even if you didn't intend to take it, if you didn't actively return it to its rightful owner, you were as guilty of stealing as if you deliberately took it yourself. Because in the Old Testament, to steal was synonymous with the word ignore. To steal was synonymous with the word to ignore. And I wonder in our day and age whether that's more true than ever. To ignore is synonymous with stealing. Gang, we have the opportunity not just to live out of the abundance of what God provides and live with contentment and generosity towards one another and others. We have the opportunity to make restitution and to fight to make wrongs right. Together, we can advocate for not just compassion, but for justice and equality and make restitution to people who are unfairly paid by allowing people to be paid not just a minimum, but a fairer living wage. We can make restitution in the housing crisis that our society finds itself in, with the haves and the have-nots, where housing is becoming increasingly unattainable by facilitating and making affordable housing possible. We can make restitution with our First Nations friends and relatives by facing generations of oppression and inequality and injustice. And we can make restitution globally as a more affluent West by caring more and right-sizing the scales with the global poor. That's the adventure that Jesus invites us into personally and together and is a far cry from a life of stealing. Instead of taking from others what belongs to them, we can share with others what belongs to God and ultimately make wrongs right. If only we'll allow a mental recalibration that leads to a financial reprioritization that drives a lifestyle of re 
distribution that ultimately reaches the finish line of restitution. That's the adventure that Jesus invites us into today, personally and together as a church family. If only we will start in our hearts by embracing Jesus' generous love. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to thank you today for your generous love toward us, for rescuing us from lives of sin and death, for setting us free, for allowing us to be included in your kingdom-building, eternity-altering plan in the world together as a church family. And I pray that through that abundance, we can not only be faithful to give back to you what you deserve, and through that investment, see our passion shift but ultimately embrace a lifestyle of contentment and generosity that can lead to making wrongs right and to paying back where people have been unfairly treated. Make us those people and help the world to see those kinds of people, not people who increasingly take from others and have to fight for our rights, but relinquish our rights and fight on behalf of others, not just out of compassion, but out of justice, to be those content, generous people that allow your generous love to flow. We look forward to watching you make us those people and thank you in advance for that inside-out transformative work that you want to do starting now. We love you and we thank you for all these things in your precious and powerful name. Amen.